What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the show. This is Real Reality Realness with Brian K. James, the podcast where I, your host, Brian, interview figures in music, reality TV, and pop culture about their lives, their perspectives, and their platforms. Join me five days a week as I get to know some of my favorite people through their points of view and their journeys to their personal greatness. Lock in while I clock in, because we are about to get into it. and welcome back to the show. This is Real Reality Realness. I am Brian K. James, and I put the mess in the message. I am so excited to have this person on the show today. They're a reality star, as well as a booming producer with a hot new, new, new production company and its first hit show already on the way. And I cannot wait to get to know them better. Ladies, gentlemen, and every gender or lack thereof in between, join me in welcoming to the show, Reese G. How are you doing? I am doing good. How are you? I am feeling great. So grateful to have you here. Thank you for making some space for me in your calendar and for taking my call today. Yes, anytime. Thank you for inviting me and having me. I I thoroughly enjoy your show. Thank you so much. (laughs) I really appreciate that. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Let me know, what are you most excited about to come from this year? You know, last year was a year of a lot of loss for me and a lot of lessons. So now I am really looking forward to being so, and I'm going to take it to church for a second, but walking by faith and not by sight and just being okay with whatever comes my way. Um, Of course, progression, I'm looking for uh, just that next level as a producer, as an activist, you know, as a coach, I just am really hoping to touch more people all across the world, you know, but that's just my hope is that I could just reach more people each and every day. That's incredible. I totally relate to that. What do you think you're most looking forward to leaving behind in 2022? So it's funny you say that because I just had this conversation earlier with um, a friend guy of mine and he, I was telling him the other night I had a moment and I just cried, you know, every now and then us as black men, we have to take those moments to just kind of release. And I had to mourn the death of the old me. And so I'm excited to see what life looks like through another lens of this new person that I am growing to be because I mean we always change but now that I have recognized and I'm more self-aware of who I am what my influence is and who I've reached it's really interesting it's, it's been an interesting journey just for what the first couple of first months of the new year to just kind of 
look at things different and react to things differently. Because I mean, you know, I'm I'm, I'm the clapback king, queen, honey. But <laughs> there are certain things that I just don't find joy in, you know, giving any energy to. So I'm really excited about, and it may be selfish to say, but I'm excited about me, honey, this year. Well, I mean, that's what this show is about. We're here to talk all about you, right? So you here to talk okay. your shit. Okay, we starting out the year quite right. I'm here for it. <laughs> I know that's right. <laughs> now, for the people who don't know, let my audience in on who is Reese G. Mm, Reese G is a producer. Reese G is a entrepreneur. I've been in the entertainment industry almost 15 years. I started out as a fashion stylist or celebrity fashion stylist with the quotes. And um, I moved to Dallas with hopes of being honestly regular, but God, the ancestors in the universe had a different path for me, which put me into production. And from there to now, I have become a producer of reality-based content, docu-content, um, working on some scripted stuff, self-published author, a son, a brother, an uncle. So, I mean, I'm just a regular old boy from Decatur that got the hood to try and make it somewhere, you know? I know that's right. I love that. So tell me, when did you fall in love with reality TV? Oh my goodness. <clears throat> I would say I fell in love, I first fell in love with reality television in 2010. My very first client was, um, I had the pleasure of pulling an item that um, Real Housewives, season one Real Housewives of Atlanta um, star Lisa Hartwell wore something of mine that I pulled for her. And I was like, oh my God, that's my first styling client from under my mentorship. And then when I saw what that show did for Atlanta, and what it did for the people on it, I was like, I always used to joke around and say, you know, if I was ever put on a reality show, I'm gonna make somebody a whole bunch of money. I'm gonna make somebody a whole bunch of money. And <laughs> rest assured, years and years later, I end up getting on a reality show and making somebody a whole bunch of money. <laughs> but um, I would Work. say that's when I first fell in love with it because I saw what it could do for for Black people, for people of color, and just for, for me who had a dream, I mean, if the if that particular reality show was not a thing, I would have never had my first celebrity client. That's when I fell in love with it because of what it could do. Absolutely love that. Now, would you say that? in your experience watching reality television that you had a reality star that made you feel represented? No. My main thing for starting Chasing Dallas was because when I moved to Dallas, I did not see any easily accessible gay or LGBT role models in Dallas. When I got here, I was shell-shocked, to be honest. I mean, I'm from Atlanta, you know, I wear a full face of makeup, I'm outward, I live outward, I live out loud, and I'm flamboyant and beautiful and I love all of this about me. And in Atlanta, the only representation that we saw was Derek J and Miss Lawrence. Love them both, had the pleasure of working with them on separate occasions, but I didn't look like that. You know, I was thick, I was androgynous, I was fashionable, but I didn't wear heels. I couldn't relate to 
that particular type of representation. And so when I got here to Dallas and I was trying to, I thought that I was still gonna be a stylist when I first moved here, but I started to look around for where, where are we at? You know, where are the Miss Miss Lawrence's and the Derek J's and where where who do the young LGBTQ folks look up to? And if you're not a person that loves the art form of drag and you don't want to indulge in female impersonation, then you kind of left to the wolves to figure it out for yourself and lift up a rock or look behind a corner to find a black gay man that you can aspire to be like. And so I was talking to my um, a friend of mine, then um, Premier, who was on season one of Chasing Dallas. And I was like, friend, I want to do something here. And he was like, well, what you want to do? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> but I need to do something that <laughs> is going to give access to these the young people who need inspiration. And then rest assured, manifestation is very, very strong. So, you know, be careful what you, what you ask for because right then, I had the opportunity to do the season one reunion of Chasing Atlanta. And then that opened the door for so many things that I didn't even expect. That is incredible. Now, talk to me about the technical process of what it was like to put together your own franchise of Chasing. How, what was it like to put together Chasing Dallas and what was the casting process like for you? Oh my God. So, I mean, at the time, at the time that I came in, Kevon Burns and I were in communication. Um, he was one of the pioneers to Chasing Atlanta. And then me and Adario Abrams became very close, like bosom buddies. We used to talk 20 times a day, every day. And I was telling them, I was like, listen, y'all, um, I know y'all want me to do this show, but I don't know nobody. Like, I know clothes. I was a stylist, and now I don't want to get dressed anymore. So I don't know what to do. And then they both were like, oh, it's easy. All you got to do is this and that and this and that. So I was like, okay, well, let me let me figure it out. And so I went to one of the local um, technical colleges here, and I actually had sat down with one of the um, one of the professors there and asked as many questions as I could. And then I met two of the students, um, Cade Conway and Aisha, and they were actually my first two producers on the show. So they had all the knowledge because they were actually in school and I was just really, I had no idea of how to do anything. And then it just kind of came honestly organically through them, I will always attribute the process to them. When it came to casting, originally, and I think this was the first time I've ever spoken about it publicly, but originally there was a guy here who was a socialite, big deal here, who said, okay, well, I asked him to be a part of the show. And he says, well, um, I can be a part of the show, but who else you got? And I told him at the time who the cast was. He was like, well, I don't know none of them, so I can't be on the show with any of them. And so I was like, okay, well, who do you have in mind? He started rearing off all of these people. And all these people were people that I had heard about even before coming to Dallas. And they all had pretty, had some names attached to them. And they had gone viral before viral was even a thing. And mm -hmm. um, 
Yeah, it was like it was like they were some they were some girls, honey. And I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> and I was like, well, here's my only my only stick my only um, non negotiable is I have to stay and Premier has to stay. And then he was like, oh, well, I know him, so yeah, he'll he he definitely fits. And so after that, the guy that was supposed to help me totally disappeared. So then, wow, I was like, well, I don't know, I don't know what how I'm gonna you know figure out this cast. So I was out of the club and I saw this guy. I thought he was the these me's and I had initially flirted with him, just being honest. Um, <laughs> and, um, that was Charles Jackson. And I went back to him and I asked him, hey, do you, what do you think about being a part of the show? And um, excuse the background because I live in the city, honey. <laughs> oh no, you're um, fine. <laughs> excuse these badass kids in my background. I get it. And so um, I asked him and he said yes. And I was like, okay, cool. And then I had a friend, his name was, I had a, well, my friend that I had met through my best friend when I moved here, he was an entrepreneur as well. And I was like, hey, what do you think about doing this YouTube show with me? And he was like, okay, cool. And that was um, Gary Aubrey or Aubrey, um, the hairstylist, Aubrey the Great. And then I was like, okay. And then Premier was still down. So now we got me, Charles, Aubrey, and um, Premier. And I was like, I feel like we need some more. <laughs> and so then I went to a party. And um, well, actually what happened was I was at home and I was hanging out with um, a guy who was a part of the show. His name is Tony Price, makeup artist. Mm -hmm. He was in my house and um, I, got a call, I got a text message from Premier and he was like, Girl, they talking about the show, girl. I ain't saying nothing, but they talking about the show at this party. And I was like, what party? And then he told me about this kickback. And he was like, and it's a dude here that is interested in being a part because he was a part of another like show. Totally like uh he got fired from the show. And I was like, okay, well, this might be somebody that uh, actually you guys is um, you know, a part of it. And um so then I ended up meeting him, and that was Markel Logan. And so, boom, I had my cast. Not knowing what was gonna come about, not knowing the drama that was gonna emerge, but, um, you know, that show was the beginning of a lot for me as a, as a producer and just getting friends. So it wasn't even, now as we went along, season two and season three, of course, I had developed a way of casting, but as we were building the brand of Chasing Reality, it went from just Chasing Atlanta to Chasing Reality. There was no module, there was no handbook, there was no instructions. And everything that that Chasing Reality grew to be um, came from me and Andario forming everything from, you know, contracts and um, filming processes and storyboarding and all that stuff. So, you know, we built the template together. And before I came in, it wasn't any of that. So that's how I kind of came about. Wow, that is awesome. Mm -hmm. So if you could sum up the initial vision that you had when starting this franchise, what do you think that you really wanted the audience to see when they saw season one of Chasing Dallas? What did you what did that vision look like? I believe my vision has stayed somewhat the same. Um, I want to start by saying that. 
And the vision was, and what I'm continuing to carry on with your voice is that I don't feel like mainstream media has proper representation of LGBTQ folk of color, period. I don't believe it. I have yet to see it. I think that they use LGBTQ people of color as the accessory, the comic relief, the gag factor, the um, the Judy with the woman all the time, the, the sidekick. I don't think that there has been spaces outside of, um, you know, honor, I pay um, homage to Patrick Ian Polk when he first created Noah's Ark and, you know, yeah. um, the remake um, for Jesse Smollett for People of Blues. And so those things do give us representation, but it still does not show us in a full capacity because we come in all shapes and sizes, heights, colors, and genders. And so my mission was to show us in a way that mainstream media just doesn't because with me i've worked on almost every it was one point in my career as a stylist i had worked on every show coming out i had a client at least one client on army divas love and hip-hop real housewives of atlanta cutting it in the atl selling it in the atl so all the major shows coming out of atlanta as far as reality tv i didn't see me i was just like i just didn't see it and whenever there was a gay that came onto the screen, they used them as the drama and then edited them out. I would say mm -hmm. the only person that I feel like, the only gay black figure in reality TV that I think kept class and poise and grace because they had a lot of camera time was the white Eubanks. I met him mm -hmm. off camera. And to me, he has always been so, just, just so, um, just, just poised and graceful with the way that he chose to um, show himself in the reality television space. Even though he was almost taken out of character that one episode between him and Nini, which was just, you know, two friends having a, having a problem, but he's always kept it together. So that was probably the closest thing, but when it came down to my vision for the franchise, I wanted to show us in a way that um, the web world hadn't shown yet. We were all striving to get somewhere. We all had brands that were, well, some the majority of us had brands that were established. And we, when we did have confrontation, it was actually real shit that was, that was detrimental to the upbuilding of what we had going on. It wasn't just catty mess of, I don't like you because you slept with my man. Like, no child, we talking about, okay, you trying to stop a bag from me. <laughs> You're trying to ruin my brand. And um, season one through three, I think, continued that growth because regardless of what people have said or will say in the future about me, opportunities and doors were open with that show. Mm -hmm. And now it can continue to go on without me at the helm of it, you know? So can you speak to the complexities of filming that show as a cast member and as a producer do you think that your experience on chasing dallas was more complicated than the average cast member because you had that higher level of um investment in the show hindsight is definitely 2020 and for me 
the biggest problem with being in front of the camera and being behind the camera was letting everybody's opinion about me being in front of the camera and behind the camera affect me. Because I handled it, me personally, <clears throat> I handled it very well. Because what people don't know, or I, I may have said it, but what people don't realize is season one and season two, I was at every filming. I was at every green screen. I directed every green screen. I directed every filming, even if I'm in the scene or out of the scene. I read the contracts. You know, I had the conversations with the cast, whether they liked me or didn't, it's on camera. And even when people try to, you know, tatter my name and say that I was biased at some point, so I tried to set things up and all of that, they don't talk about the honesty of what I had to give and the cross that I had to bear. The hardest part about it was not having a social life because you develop these working relationships with these people and then they expect you to, you know, go with them later on and go party at the club. But what they didn't realize is, okay, yeah, you want to party with Reese at the club, but if you party with Reese, that causes a problem with cast member three, four, and five because I'm hanging out with you. And then when we get back into this scene, cast member three, four, and five is going to have an attitude with me because they invited me to something that I couldn't go to. So now they feel like I snubbed them. You get what I'm saying? And so mm-hmm. it was, it was, it was all, it was never a, to me, it was never really a me thing, but, and I felt like I handled it the best way I could with trying to appease everyone. That was the biggest problem, is trying to make sure that everybody was cool when it was time to work. Because when it's not time to work, we can hang out. If, I mean, if, you, if you're just my type of chick, and that's what people listen to. Some of y'all, I just didn't want to hang out with because we wouldn't hang out if the show wasn't a thing. You know, we don't have anything in common. But when we get on camera together, we can have great chemistry. Absolutely. There were there were a few people that I actually had very good um, outside of the camera conversations with, um, where we can actually have moments where we have a real deal conversation. And, and I would say that was uh, Markel, of course. I mean, everybody knew how close we were. And <laughs> Ariel, you know, um, mm-hmm. we developed and forged real friendships and even though the friendships may have hit rocks at one point, I believe that what we had at the beginning of the start of that could always come back and grow to being that close because it's a true friendship. Absolutely. Do you think that when it comes to the interpersonal relationships with you and your fellow cast members, do you think that you had more intense boundaries with them because you were a producer or what what type of role do you feel like that part specifically played on your relationships with them specifically so i believe that when it came down to the technicality of who i was and then who i was to them Mm-hmm. It did make lines very blurry, especially if they were not a person that was equipped with the wherewithal to say, okay, girl, uh-uh, we ain't talking about that, girl. We talking about the boy we just saw walk down the street. And, you know, um, that would be, you know, Ariel. Ariel would very cavalierly be like, okay, okay, now I'm, I'm not calling Reese EP. I'm calling Reese my girlfriend, my sister, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was more so of, can y'all 
meet me halfway and understand, hey, I don't feel like working right now. And some of them could not. And so like when we did hang out, it was always kind of awkward or you have dead air because after we talk about what happened on the show off camera, we don't have anything else to talk about, you know? Mm. <laughs> it's like, okay, so girl, well, I'm gonna go ahead and go. And then, <laughs> and then the next thing you hear from them is, oh, Reese boring. And then somebody will turn around and say, well, we just, me and Reese just hung out at the club, we turned up. And so that that's where that those lines get really, really blurry. And so I could definitely take ownership for mismanaging some of my actions when it came down to it and not really fully understanding the position of where I had put myself, the life that I chose. However, I think a lot of times I did get the the, the rough end of the, spit, of the spit because people didn't consider, hey, you know, yeah, Reese is doing all it is, not asking us to pay for anything and making it happen, but he's still human too. And I think a lot of people forgot that a part of the show. I can totally see that. <laughs> now, talk to me about the reception of the audience for you. When it came to looking at how the audience received the show, were you more affected as a producer or as a cast member? Um, I would definitely say more as a producer. Um, the things that people would say about me as a cast member, I really didn't care about because you don't know. You don't sure. know when when the red light stops flashing, you don't know what I go home to deal with or if I had any inner demons that I was fighting or anything like that. I mean, honestly, when people were talking about me the most, season two with the things with the uh, with the items I chose to wear, everything that I wore that they talked about, I got paid to wear. So I'm definitely fed to wear it because one, I want to support black business. Two, girl, I got paid. Period. <laughs> like even my reunion look for season two, the designer that designed that that um, that two piece that jumpsuit for me, like mm-hmm. I mean, he was able to eat off of that because even though people were calling me names and making jokes honey he is he he was able to make some money off of that and so I didn't really care about what they were saying but when they critiqued the work and said you know the show is boring or why the audio look like this or why I can't hear or something like that it was like okay time to step up my game how do I step up my game what do I need to do how much is this why how do I buy this and all of that because a lot of the thing all the equipment was all me i had to buy my own equipment what a lot of people don't get like i mean you you gotta uh, you gotta make it happen because it is your dream and your vision so that would affect me more because i think that people and even bloggers in particular would go a little bit too far you know and my skin wasn't as tough as it is now so when you're you know going in on my business and to me, when you go in on my business and critique it so harshly because I made it look easy when it wasn't, then you can potentially stop money from coming into my house. You can exactly. potentially at the time stop me from, because you don't know the things I have to pay for, who I'm taking care of, you know? And so that's where the problems came in for me because I, I did not like that at all. And it would, it would, it would, it would infuriate me so much. And I'm pretty sure you saw the lives. <laughs> and the times <laughs> I, would, I would go in. But yeah, so definitely a producer over 
a cast member. Because the cast member part, I mean, I love to see my name all up through the comments, honey, shit. <laughs> Kim Kardashian see it all day. So if I'm, I'm if I'm akin to Kim, then I'm akin to winning. I'm here for that. I like that. <laughs> I like that now. <laughs> it's the truth. Now, now closing out. Speaking about your specific experience on reality television, would you rather bring a friend on camera or make a friend on camera? Mm, that's a very good question. So, ooh, it's kind of tough. So, I'm, I, I think I'm still 50 50 with both, only because if where I'm at now, if I if I did choose to do an ensemble cast show again in that vein, that same vein, I know what kind of machine that could do for somebody that is my friend. So of course I would say, friend, okay, come on, friend, come on this show, girl, and let's make this money. And, and then we can have conversations about if we say something that go a little too far afterwards. And then on top of that, if it is somebody that I don't know that I'm meeting for the first time and getting to know, we just so happen to, you know, have things in common, then I could see the benefit from that too. So I'm kind of 50-50 with that one. Okay. That makes perfect sense. Now, getting into Revoice, your production company, first of all, congratulations. This is huge and this is awesome. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Absolutely. Talk to me about how it feels leaving Chasing Dallas behind and like going into your next journey and what are the disadvantages and the advantages of separating from that entity and going into a new one? So, for me, when I was producing with Chasing Reality under a recent production, the the motive that I had for doing production was not beneficial to who I ultimately am going to become. And so with Revoice, you know, it is a, a totally different, it's, it's not a lateral move, it's an upward move to me. Because yes, I can, now I don't have any, there are several shows that I wanted to put out with Chasing Reality that I got no's to do it. I just wanted to work. Like there were like literally by the summer of 2022, if everything would have went the way it was supposed to go, I would have had five shows on Chasing Reality. It would have been five shows. And now with Revoice, I have a clearer vision to bring the content to life. So that's definitely an advantage. A disadvantage is most definitely having, um, not having somebody like, say, a Andario who knows production, who knows the edit. We've worked together before. We know we can make magic together there as a help meet, um, considering I'm not in a relationship. So, you know, you have to get that from your business partner um, or your partner in crime with your production. You have to get that type of... Um, camaraderie with them so that I would say is a disadvantage because my editor now even though I edit too we don't have a close personal relationship so it is kind of like mm, I wish I had somebody like that so it's like Egh. 
but I mean, business is business, so it's like okay. Um, and then, but now, for me, it's never really been about numbers. I was just asked a question similar to what you asked me, but um, it was about more so numbers and following and all of that. And you know, I always say, I mean, the numbers will come. I'm not concerned about the numbers. I'm concerned about the quality because if I put it out and only 10 people watch it at least those 10 people can get help but there are other people that are watching me that are waiting to see okay now what are you gonna do now and these what are you gonna do now people are are some people so um <laughs> I, I, like when I if you don't if I could only say but it's some people so you know I definitely have to take um take your what did, what did they say take your sugar with your vinegar so, okay. Yeah. I totally understand that. Now, talk to me about the retreat and what made this show special enough to be the first vehicle for Revoice. So, Chasing Dallas Presents the Retreat was the first um, iteration of me doing a show that was outside of the brand. It was something mm -hmm. new, it was totally fresh, it was a spinoff. And I can remember me sitting at um, my then producer's table um, that co-produced it with me, CJ Smith. Um, and I was saying, I, we need something that's gonna make people feel good. We need something that can humanize these people. That was my buzzword, humanize, humanize, humanize. And so then the retreat came about. And I felt like the retreat was the place for us to, cause I, I wanted to do like an all-star, season competition show for Chasing Reality and I was told no. And so I was like, well, what's another way that I can still bring people together to bond and then grow? And then Chasing Dallas Business, the retreat came. When everything happened that led to my departure, um, it was taken down from the social media, from the YouTube channel, which hurt me. But at the same time, I said, you know what? I'm still gonna do the retreat. People out here still need to be healed. And I, if I can get a give a good go at bringing some people together that have been in this world that I know for a fact can be toxic on the web reality circuit, I'm gonna continue to do that, i.e. the retreat came about. And to me, it's really about taking a moment to look at yourself in the mirror and understand, okay, I'm going through something, my mental health is struggling, but I chose to go on this trip. I chose to invest time in this trip to go and retreat from the world and rebuild myself with, with an expert. And so this season, um, season one of the retreat is going to be, it was definitely, and I said this, um, it was very, it was the hardest production I've done so far only because there were times where the team pulled me to the side and they were like, Reese, I don't think we can help so-and-so. And I was just like, wow, what? And I don't like, I don't like Ken. I don't like Ken. And I'm just like, well, what, what makes you say that? Well, they're just so this and they're just so that. And I said, okay, tomorrow, after we get done with filming for tomorrow, y'all gonna give me my things. Just know, cause we don't give up on people. And that's one thing that I don't agree with and I don't do. And I feel like the world does it so much with us as black men. They give up and I don't believe in giving up. And so 
it was definitely a huge learning experience. This this production, against all the other ones, I believe everybody, including the crew, learned something from this trip. Like, there were moments where people, it, it, it wasn't as many tears as I thought it was gonna be because it was real, real conversations happening that when I looked to my left and looked at, you know, somebody that was working on the camera or I looked to my right, somebody that's holding the um, the itinerary, everybody is in tune to everybody else's reactions and feelings. And, and we're having moments where everybody is like, damn, this is, this is some, this is for real. Like we all are really messed up <laughs> and we need to figure wow. out how we can get back from this. So, yeah, this was definitely for me the hardest that I've done so far. But it was definitely a task within itself. And like even the um, the therapist that um, I hired to come about, Joseph Williams, he even had moments where he was like, "Reese, you know, I used your technique from the retreat uh, with one of my clients, and you know that it really showed me some things." So for me to be able to do that with this. Howard graduate, well-decorated therapist. I was like, okay, well, well, we doing something here. We making some moves here. (laughs) That is incredible. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. No, I was just saying it was definitely a good good time. That is beautiful. I'm looking forward to it. Now, in the grand scheme of the web reality space in this moment how do you think this show is going to stand up to and how do you think it's going to stand apart from the other shows that are currently in this space um i believe that the retreat will be equally entertaining as the others that are already in the spaces um in the web reality world i've had my hands in a lot of the shows even if they aren't um, with Chase Reality, you know, I've consulted with quite a few of your favorite other producers secretly. And so I think that when it comes down to the retreat, there is no comparison to the retreat because it's definitely one of one of a kind. However, I think that it will be as entertaining and then it'll set itself apart because I feel like everybody's gonna wanna go on a retreat. Everybody's gonna gonna have a mo- want to do some work. Everybody's gonna want to get away and get to know people that they were not casted initially to be around. And that's my hope because I want everybody to understand that in this community, we mental health is a thing. Self-worth is a thing. Affirming yourself on a daily basis is something that's necessary. So um, I think that that will give it'll give room for other people to make more shows that are um, are more driven with healing and love versus constant confrontation. I hope it opens that door for other people to do that. That is incredible. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love that. Without giving away too much. What do you think has been the hardest thing for you to film from this show? And what do you think has been the most fulfilling part of doing this show in this iteration? I would say the hardest thing for me to film during the show 
this go around was the there was a confrontation that happened and mm-hmm. um because tensions were so high in the room we we concluded filming for that night um and it was it was a different type of confrontation because it was not it was not a you did something to me it you you're not hearing me you're not listening to me you're not hearing what i'm saying to you my brother I'm trying to get my point across because I've always been shut up. And now I'm finally trying to say something and you're still not hearing me. And so for me, at the end of that filming, that particular scene, you know, I just told everybody, hey, look, we're done. And me and the therapist, Joseph, had to go and sit with this particular cast member to make sure he was all right. You know, because it was it was pretty intense. And I never want to be a person to take, to be a part of the demise of anyone. And so I had to take a moment and be like, hey, okay, so um, so how are you feeling? What are you doing? Like, where, where are you at mentally? And so um, that it was so bad that um, the following day, because we still had more to do, I had told them, I removed all the alcohol out of the house. I removed all the alcohol because I'm like, this is not, this is not what we're here for. And so for everybody to heal, you need to be coherent to go through these tasks. So um, that definitely was pretty intense. And the happiest moment, I would say, would have been, um, there were times we joked and kid around, you know, when the cameras were off, but to kind of see these guys in a way that they could get comfortable with me, because I mean, I'm not gonna lie, when people work with me, they always have that, um, you know, they always have that side already. <laughs> they don't know what they're mm. gonna expect, you know? But to actually spend time with these people and, you know, get to know them, like for real, for real, was definitely a happy moment, a happy moment for me. That is lovely. Yeah. I absolutely love that. I, stay tuned, children. <laughs> um, <laughs> what keeps you up at night? What keeps me up at night? Sir. What keeps me up at night? What what keeps me up at night? <laughs> um being um being okay with knowing that the road is rocky, but if you have the right shoes you can handle it. Um mm being able to turn my mind off because there's so many things that I want to do. You know, there's so many places that I want to be and so many people that I want to help, but I have to understand it does take time. Patience was a was a um, a course that I definitely sometimes failed and excelled in um, last year. But now I feel like I'm getting closer and closer to honing in on what it means to be patient. So, um, you know, and of course, on the more personal level, um, of course, I want to, I would love to be in love. Ultimately, I want children one day. And so, you know, I do go back and forth sometimes and be like, okay, freedom costs. So, bitch, either you're going to work hard so you can make room for a husband and a child, or you're going to just, you know, settle and be with somebody that you don't want to be with. So, you know. That's always a thing, too. Mm. 
Oh, child, I'm sure you just touched a couple people just there. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that. I'm, I'm sure uh, a couple of the, the girls just felt a little something, something. It's the truth, yeah. because I mean, if, when you look at it, like, and I don't mean to go on like this little bit of a tangent, but I would like to no, say, please do. you know, with us as, with us as humans, as with us as black men, with us as black gay men, we all yearned for unconditional love. Because a lot of our paths, um, a lot of our paths to our gayness start with being ridiculed and being shunned by our own community. So of course we inherently learn to hate those that we were supposed to love unconditionally. A lot of times it's our mothers, a lot of times it's our fathers, our best friends, our, uh, our teammates on our favorite basketball team that we played on. Uh, luckily, I was privileged to have two parents in this lifetime who affirmed me each and every day. When I came out, it was not a big deal for my mom. My father was already departed, but even when my father was here, he uh, always affirmed me and he leaned into uh, my feminine qualities. And so a lot of us don't have those privileges and I have to understand that because I had been privileged in that way, I have to take that and be real enough to look at other people and be like, okay, my brother didn't go through the same thing that I went through. My sis didn't go through the same thing I went through. So I have to be a little bit softer. Because I mean, there could have been, there, there have been times with me being in front of the camera, I could have demolished so many people with my words, you know, but it's not worth it. I don't win a gold medal at the end of the day for probably reading somebody. The only thing that, <laughs> that does, you get, you understand what I'm saying? The only thing that that Absolutely. does is it just confirms, oh yeah, Miss Thing can read and she's from Atlanta, so I mean, that's why she can read, ooh, 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 ooh. But at the end of the day, if you read somebody, like they were tearing me up or attacking me in the comments and thank God for strength. But if I would've went home and took my own life because I couldn't handle it, then what? And that's what a lot exactly. of people have to understand that we have to be able to embrace everybody for who they are. And then when somebody falls short, we have to be able to be like, okay, now brother, sister, now you did wrong with that now and hold us mm -hmm. accountable. And then also give us a solution to not do it anymore. That's what we, that's the piece that a lot of people miss in this world. It's like, they always ridicule and critique and then they don't give a solution to it. And um, that's one thing that I hated growing up, uh, being in foster care and all of that. I just really did not like the fact that people would tell me what I need to be doing versus telling me how to do it. And so I feel like I have been charged with that task of creating room for those types of things. That's, that's one of the goals with the boys, with the pitch program, with um, a couple of other things that I'm going to be launching at the end of the month, just to make sure that everybody knows. I mean, you are, you have the power to be whoever you want to be. And if you just, if you just walk that line, just walk the line. It's okay. You might get off the line a little bit, but it's okay. You can always get right back on it. Because we all forget. Absolutely. What do you think you fear more? Success or failure? Success. Mm. Success Talk to me about failure. that. I'm not afraid to fail. I've done it so many times. I know what the bottom feels like. I know what it feels like to fall and smack your face on the pavement. 
and then put a Band-Aid on top of it. I'm okay with failing. But when you are successful, that's what brings tears to my eyes. At the end of the season two reunion, when Imani leaned over to me and said, all right, Lisa, you did it. And I bawled tears. It wasn't because of what I had been through. It was because, okay, now how do I best myself now? How do I take, how do I take myself up again? How do I reach more people? How do I, how, it's, it's so many, it's, and then it leans over to what keeps me up at night. How do I, how do I do better than last time? How do I do my big one and be Beyonce in my own, in my own world? And that's myself okay. each and every time. Because I can be successful. Being successful is easy. It's a work that's hard. I always say that. And for me, when I win my Emmy for Hello. whatever production that I'm doing, then I have to win another one. And then I got to win another one. <laughs> and then I got to go get the Golden Globe. So it's always a next level because it creates room for visibility and representation. And with us, you have to do twice as hard for half as much as a Black person in the United States of America. We don't have the privilege of waking up and saying, oh, I'm Black and it not being a problem or it not being a nuisance or it not being a threat to just show up in some spaces. So it's definitely, I am welcoming to success, but I am always on pins and needles when I do something well because I'm like, okay, now what? <laughs> I totally understand that. I love that. What has reality television taught you about people? Reality television has thoroughly taught me that sometimes people only see themselves as the way out. People don't see the skills that they have when they are in reality television because reality television used to be all about, I'm me, this is my personality, and I'm, I'm not shaking on it, I'm not changing on it, this is me. And that would be the thing to get people to that next level, i.e. a Nene Leakes, i.e. a Tiffany Paolo, i.e. a, um, a Snooki. Those people can be themselves and just and just win because we had never seen anybody like that. We related to them because you know Needy like the homegirl down the street, Snooki like the girl that work up at the Piggly Wiggly, you Absolutely. know. <laughs> Tiffany is that loud girl that had a little money in school, so we can relate mm-hmm. to those people. But then you have those people who really don't understand that that you have some type of skill. You just have to tap into it. And reality TV, being in front of the camera, being behind the camera, working as a stylist or a dresser or wardrobe or whatever you want to call it, showed me that reality TV is more than just showing up. You have to be smart. You have to be quick. You have to be cunning. The people that I think that do reality TV and use that mobile like no other are the Kardashians. I think that they have taken what it means to be a reality star and turned it literally into a billion dollar business and so either you're going to either you're going to do it well and be successful or you're going to just sit and show up and just be an empty wheelbarrow with nothing to show for yeah you can have a a, a read land but past that what else you got girl even though i was on three seasons of one show 
spinoff show. I always had something to put out, something to promote. They, something was gonna keep these lights on. They don't better get on TV <laughs> and argue. I gotta do something that's gonna bring me some coin. But a lot of people miss that. So I think that reality TV really shows you the realness of somebody or how fake they can be. I absolutely agree with that. You know, I never say that reality TV changes people. I always say that reality TV just makes you your most self. It mm -hmm. just shows us exactly who you are in real life. Mm -hmm. Now, what do you think you've learned about yourself from experiencing reality television as an on-camera personality? For me, I've learned the importance of being more authentic. I would say season three was the most authentic that I had ever been on reality TV to date. Um, I learned that me showing up as my authentic self, me being real, me not holding back, not saying that being reading, but me saying something of value because it's what I want to say showed up in my personal life as it did on camera for season three. And I really felt like it taught me, the, the entire process as an on-camera personality taught me how important my voice was for plus-size men, plus-size Black men. Um, there was an individual um, who told me, he was like, you know, Reese, you have to realize, like, we never saw anybody like you on TV. We never saw anybody like you in, in the web world. And I was like, well, well, when you think about it, you ain't, huh? <laughs> so it's like mm. to see somebody who was an entrepreneur, who was that representation for plus size men that was confident, that had a unique fashion sense, that rocked a label, that gave some type of hope to another plus size boy. I mean, I think that it taught me that even though I'm just from Decatur, Georgia, the hood, it taught me and it showed me that I have that I have no limit to where I can go. And it just amplified, bitch, you know, you reached millions and millions of people. You have fans in Africa. So there's no limit to where you can where you can be in this world. And it and it really helped me see for myself what um, I have to go back to my parents, what my parents saw and what they instilled in me. And so I want to make sure that I put that into my new work because I mean, this ain't the last time people have seen me in front of the camera. I'm getting back in front of the camera. You know, the camera loves me, but <laughs> I'll definitely yes. be back in front of the camera. But yeah, it definitely taught me that I have to be more intentional with everything that I do. I absolutely live for that. I cannot wait to see all the things you have coming up. Now, how does that feeling of what you've learned about yourself as an on-camera personality compare to what you've learned as a producer? Or what you've learned about yourself being a producer of reality TV? Mm. I think that for me, uh, being a producer, it at one point I can look at it as, oh, it's just a job. But then at another point, I can look at it as 
it's a it's it's definitely a cross to bear. It's 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 some weight there because you well like to say if you if you produce a show well then people fall in love with the characters and because you're the producer you have the power to take that character down or build that character up and i just so happen to have the privilege to be at the helm of my show and now that i am not a part of it anymore i still can stand alone but i can't say the same for those that are no longer a part of that show that deserve to be so you know i take moments at times and just say to myself in comparison to being in front of the camera with being behind the camera they both go hand in hand with what I've learned about me but you just gotta gotta take it with a grain of salt and you have to prepare yourself because I don't think anything would have been able to prepare me for you could have told me <laughs> moving to Dallas when my plan was not to move here and become a producer you could have told me that I would have gone, I was going to experience all the things that I did um, while doing that show in particular. But it's given me access to so many different things. You know, I, I now, whenever things, whenever change is happening in the LGBT scene here in Dallas, I get a phone call too. Hey, Reese, we need you to come to this meeting to talk about this. Hey, Reese, can you donate money to that? Hey, Reese, there's a fundraiser for this. Hey, what do you, you know? So I do have a voice and an input um, with being a representative, even though it is just in that lane. And then it also, as a producer, it gives me the privilege to have opened that door so that a Mark Hale, so that any other producer can come around and come about to bring the show to the city. You know, not saying I'm the end all be all or the or the um, the the first person to do it, but I will say I'm the first person to do it here consistently with an outcome to create space and room for others to come about. And that's not me being vain for those that are listening that feel that way. That's just me being certain and definite because the proof is in the pudding. <clears throat> There's absolutely something to be said about, you know, owning your space and knowing what you contribute to your industry i mean if you don't know and if you don't keep track of your 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 you know contributions and accolades who do you expect to do it for you you know what i mean yeah rihanna said it one time and i think somebody else said it before her i can't recall who she um, referenced but she said well behaved bitches seldom make history and honey i'm trying to make history so i can't <laughs> i'm controversial within itself i'm a walking oxymoron that is controversial so I'm okay with that. And I'm not saying that any other producer can't do what I have done. I'm just saying that I definitely was an example of the possibility of what it looks like to stay consistent. One million percent. How do you want to be remembered overall? Mm. Mm. I want to be remembered as a bitch. Word. <laughs> Word, and when I say that is because I don't want to be a person that ever wavers on what's right. I don't ever want to be a person to shape my standing on what we need done in the community. I don't want to be a person that ever takes a, that is misunderstood with the message that I'm trying to bring. We are all equal we are all in, in need of respect 
We are all here for a purpose. So when it comes down to people that try to discount, I'm working on a project right now that will amplify what it means and what it looks like to be in the LGBT scene here as a person of color in a red state. It is not okay that we as a people shun our own people. It's not right. It is not right. And it's not okay for people to just stand by and think it is. We won't be able to teach people how to treat us until we treat ourselves better. And I'm only one person. So of course, it's gonna take more of us to really come together and be like, "Mm -mm, you can't treat me like this. You can't treat my sis like that. You can't treat my brother like that. Even if we don't like each other, we can put on a unified front. The Republicans do. So, I have certainly said this multiple times on my own <laughs> YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. I have screamed this into the void for years, mm-hmm. Jeff. Mm-hmm. And I stand by it. I agree with you on that. I second you on that. Mm-hmm. What do you want your ultimate stamp on television to be? I would love my ultimate stamp on television to be an example of what it means to be resilient. I want my stamp or I want my legacy to be that of a a Diane Carroll. You know, she was the first to to, to have, Love. she was the first black woman to star in a sitcom, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm not looking to be the first of anything. If it comes, then I'm okay with that. But I want to be able to have the lane open so that other gay black men that look like me in particular can make room. Don Lemon has done his thing in his own lane. So now anybody that sees or feels like they can be a Don Lemon, they can go and do that. Patrick Ian Pope done the same. Lee Daniels done the same. Billy Billy Porter done the same. And those are sometimes the only people that we can actually point to as mainstream influential black gay men. And then most of the time, no tea, no shade. I think out of all the people I just named, Billy Porter is the only one that's out loud, I'm gay and I'm here. Everybody else kind of sink back into the background at times. But um, I want to be able to be an example uh, and have an impact like all of the greats that have have ever walked the earth to be able to just have you know i want to be the person described as who they want to be if i want if i say i want to be like oprah i would love for somebody to say i want to be like Reese. one day i love i absolutely love that my last question for you is What's next for you and where can the people find you and all of the things that you want to promote? So what's next for me is, um, of course, we talked about it, but the retreat is definitely coming um, in honor of Black History Month and with me launching Revoice this month. I definitely want to make sure that everything else that I'm launching along with the brand is received well so that I can get to the business of doing that. Um, 
I would say that I don't want to spoil, but definitely be on the lookout. Mm-hmm. Um, and then everything you can find me at Reese G. That's R E S S I E G on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, Twitter is Reese G Tweet. Facebook Reese G. Instagram Reese G. And then same thing with Revoice. It's Revoice is the handle for everything. I T S R E V O Y C E. I love that. I am so excited. Congratulations on everything that you've accomplished so far. And I look forward to seeing everything that you have coming this year and beyond. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm excited for you as well. Keep going, keep going, keep going. I hope this isn't the last time I will be here with you. Oh, absolutely not. You are you are officially a friend of the show, so you are welcome to come back anytime. We have new things dropping, when the book comes out, when the talk show gets greenlit, or if you want to just come back and shoot the shit, just hit me oh, up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm definitely going to be in touch. Mm-hmm. And I'll be in touch with you, too. And I, because um, it's some stuff coming, honey, so... You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, you know, I, I, I will definitely be in um your DMs as well as revoices. You know, I commented on your post about your pitch program. I got some things sliding your way. I got some drafts waiting well, well, for go March first to hit. Let's get it. I'm ready. Let's go. There he is. And on that note, children, that has been our show. I appreciate every single one of you guys for tuning in to help me to facilitate this conversation. And I want to extend a special, special thank you to my guest, Reese G, for blessing the podcast. Thank you again. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. It's been my pleasure and I am my honor. Thank you so much. And I want to remind all of you guys out there before I let you go to be real, stay in reality, and always, always bring the realness. I am Brian K. James. This has been Real Reality Realness. And until next time, I love every single one of you guys from the bottom of my green heart emoji. Keep the mess in the message and misbehave yourselves. Peace. Bye, guys. What's going on, everybody? Brian K. James here, and I'm so excited to let you know that this podcast is being brought to you in part by Outlander Media Network. Outlander's mission is to bring you the most exclusive alternative content from across the web, from the farthest reaches invading your space. We appreciate every single one of you guys for tuning in and never want you to forget to embrace your inner Outlander. I am Brian K. James, and this is Real Reality Realness.